The Small Queendom Podcast, episode 43. Hey there, welcome back. I'm Leah Graham, the host of the Small Queendom Podcast, and today's episode of Here's What Happened is so fun for me to present to you, and it's all about my adventures in Nepal. I am joined today by Betsy Balcom and Spring Step. You will recognize them from past episodes on the Small Queen of Podcast. We went and journeyed to Nepal with 40 incredible, incredible human beings, also uh, doTERRA wellness advocates, to experience co-impact sourcing on the ground with Wintergreen. We go into all the details, but let me tell you, we had a whole lot of fun on this trip. When you spend many, many days in a a country that is so culturally rich and it's so different from your everyday life, you know some fun is going to happen. Because of how this conversation just kept going and it was so good, I left it long, but I've split it in two parts. So tomorrow, part two will show up in your podcast inbox. Just make sure you click that subscribe button. We literally tell all. We talk about the bus ride for 11 hours. We talk about the shopping. We talk about the oils. We talk about our experience of visiting religious sites and just the processing of something that is so different and so new for us. Um, And then we even talk about hitting up Qatar on the way there and on the way back. Um, But I also just want to take this time to give a huge shout out to um, all of our new friends that are probably listening to this episode. We loved spending this time with you. We and we cherish you so much. Um, Another quick tidbit. Next week, I am delighted to have a very special interview that I did on site in Nepal. You are going to find this so incredibly fascinating and insider's look into literally the whole industry of essential oils. Um, please, please, please be sure to check in next week for that. So you know what? Let's get to the laughs. Let's get to Betsy in spring and let's get to our big adventure and find out what happened in Nepal. <laughs> So you all, we actually did the thing. We we went to Nepal, y'all. Yeah, we did. (laughs) And we ate a lot of doll, y'all. Oh, (laughs) we did. And now we're on a Nepal call. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all. All right, so let's set up this call. I wanted to be sure to have you ladies on with me as we break down truly what has been a life-changing experience for me. I know everyone seems to say like when they go somewhere and have a big event, like, oh, they're changed forever. I really do feel like I am changed forever, but I'm still unpacking it. So I definitely needed your support and all the laughs to break down (laughs) Nepal, y'all. So before we break down into the elements, I did want to explain kind of the order of events. Out of 11 days that we were gone, we were literally traveling for seven. Um, is so, that it? It was only seven? It, was it felt o- like seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was It was seven days. Um, so uh, briefly, I'm going to explain um, kind of the order of that. So we, we 
we all flew and we met in uh, Doha, Qatar and spent the night. And then the next day we flew into Kathmandu where we met up with our group. And then here we go. We went to visit the wintergreen uh, distillation area um in the, which was not like a facility it was like a spot in the woods yes yes exactly we're, <laughs> we're gonna talk about that <laughs> it was then, like a pit stop on the side of the road no okay, cracker barrel the, everyone was like the village <laughs> everyone was like is this it are we we're here, we're here. We're here. <laughs> can and, i just say all that really quickly i don't want to sideline you leah but i was so delighted to realize that wintergreen just grows all over the hillside oh, it's gosh, not we like we have to talk about that it wasn't a farm. Woo, that's so legit. Okay, totally. go ahead. Totally. Okay, then we went and spent time in uh, Makawampur for a few days. Then we went to a great place called Pokhara, and then we went back to Kathmandu, and then we flew home No, via, we flew to Doha. Yeah, we flew home via Doha <laughs> yes. again. So it's kind of like a wintergreen sandwich, and everything on either side of it was kind of the same. Absolutely. Yes, that's so, right. All right, so let's get down. Let's talk about wintergreen, because that is the reason that we were there. We were there to experience co-impact sourcing mm -hmm. on the ground. And let's just break down that process. Go ahead and start, Betsy. Talk about that side of the road where we stop. Okay. Um, co-impact sourcing demystified would be best used. Uh, the phrase to use for that would be shared value, mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. what we kind of like unpacked. And I felt like it was a real treat to be on the same trip with Jared Moon our strategic sourcing guru extraordinaire. And he explained it to us that co-impact sourcing, that's what it is. Every way around, it benefits us as wellness advocates. It benefits consumers who buy wintergreen from doTERRA. It benefits the people who um, farm and harvest and distill. So yeah, we stopped on the side of the road. It looked like any old mountain. It was funny to me that they call it the jungle. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and then we turn just... into part mountain goat to get down to the distillation. Yes. Part. Yes. Extra fun because that was also where a lot of people needed to go to the bathroom. So I think a lot of people had the experience of going to the bathroom in the woods for the first time, which oh, was funny so to me. Um, yeah. It looks like a brick structure that had been abandoned uh, beside a big silver distillery like where they set um something on fire wood on fire and did the process right there but springs right it looked like a spot in the woods it was nothing totally. it was nothing fancy to so, like describe it like it almost looks like a moonshine distillery what you would see in the Appalachian Mountains from where yes. we're from like hidden yes. in this little nook in the woods in a flat spot with like very um rustic equipment to say the least but it was getting the job done so i know and i think it was just happy timing that we all happened to be there right when three women i would call them girls oh yes who had been um harvesting wintergreen all morning came in with the baskets on their head and we got to see in the flesh them bring their wintergreen weighed in kilos on a scale that was and on the middle of the ground. It was like on the side of a hill. I know. I thought, who left this scale here? <laughs> <laughs> and then they got paid in cash. And then they let us take their picture so graciously. And then they peaced out. <laughs> I was well, like, well, it was, worked. That was, uh, for me, like seeing them come in, I thought when I saw these girls who were young, um, 
it really about 15, 16. Yeah. If that, I mean, I would say they were about that, but then Jared, like somebody asked him about, because I know this always comes up when we look at like, um, essential oils that we get or any product that we get from another country. Yeah. People always say like, Oh, is this like child labor? Like it's so mm-hmm. bad. And Jared addressed that so well. And he said, there's a difference between child labor and kids who work and get paid. And we, as a company with, through co-impact sourcing, doTERRA does a really good job at assuring that children who work get paid for the work that they do. And they are not required to do the work if they don't want to. But in these third world countries where we get our essential oils from, um, a lot of times the parents are not able to work or they cannot bring in uh, suitable income for their family. And so to be a part of a company that comes in and actually pays people for the work that they do when they do it. It's not like they're on payroll and they have to clock in every day. If they want to climb the side of a mountain, like, and we're talking a mountain, not a hill, not a small knoll. We're talking a treacherous mountain that they wear flip flops or are bare feet in and they harvest wintergreen. They can do that. They can choose to do that for the day or three days a week or whatever. And their harvest is paid in cash to them on the spot. And I was so impressed by that because, um, Jared, was it Jared that was telling us that there's one girl who's young and she's like a hustler. She's like a boss babe Mm -hmm. and she does more work than her parents. And she's got her own little side gig with the cash that she's earning from harvesting wintergreen. So I was impressed. I thought, I mean, good grief. I have a 14 year old and an 11 year old. And I'll tell you, like we make our kids work, but like there ain't no way in heck that they would be climbing the side of a mountain harvesting wintergreen. And I think about all of the the listeners and all of us whose, you know, family either have a business or we're contractors or on a dairy farm and we just grew up working, you Mm -hmm. know, and then we got an allowance. I mean, it's kind of like that, but their parents don't, you know, in a typical situation, thinking about Nepal, they probably aren't getting any kind of allowance. So this is a way for them to be able to, you know, either meet their basic needs or, Hey, get a new pair of shoes. Oh, and I love that while we were there, they had these, these girls that were harvesting wintergreen had never actually smelled the essential oil. Yes. And they got to experience that with us there. And I thought, Oh man, like this is what we do when we buy a bottle of essential oil, wintergreen or vetiver or Roman chamomile or Melissa. I mean, I could go all the way down the list with all the oils that we have. Like we don't always know that the people are actually experiencing what we experience on the other end of this. Right. Mm -hmm. And to kind of bring that full, full circle for them was such an experience where I thought, man, we need to pay more money for wintergreen. I know that too, right? (laughs) <laughs> yes. I mean, it's $22 wholesale. Oh, like I, I came home with that little sample that they gave to each of us of what we got to see be distilled so that day. It was so fresh. And I let Bear take it, my son today to school for share because um, he wore his Nepali clothes today and he took that. It's so spicy and sweet and minty. And I just think it's one of the most delicious oils. And Jared said, I hope you never use your oils without remembering the backbreaking work attached Mm. to the other end. And I really think that that's what like fair trade, you know, such a buzzword now, that's what it's all about. 
totally. knowing that there are people at the other end of the story and that story is important. And when you yes. see it with your own eyes, you can't unsee that. So Never. it just attaches a consciousness to your purchasing power that I think is, you know, as one of the good things about the world getting smaller and being connected online is this, you begin yes. to see what's happening at the other end. So did you all catch that in Nepal, they have 100 distillation sites? Yes. 100 sites. And so it's 100 of these little spots in the road. And shine spots. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. That it's like a little network because it definitely wasn't anything impressive. No parking no. spots. <laughs> but, you know, I think it really, it just made me feel so impressed about the dizzying amount of logistics that it takes to pull this off. And I think that yeah. it, like there, no one, no other company is doing this. And I, and I do want to put a little plug that next week's podcast. I actually have mm. Jared Moon on the podcast with me. Such we, a treat. We go into more oh, yeah. about specifically. So I hope the listeners will tune in next week um, before we move on. Um, but my point is like the only reason to do things this way is because mm. of the heart, mm -hmm. because we actually care about the people on the other side of this. Um, yes. There's no other reason we could right. charge more money um, for a lesser product that they literally order from an office. Um, but there is so much love and hands that are coming together to create mm. this. And I also just want to throw a shout out that the used winter green that has been distilled is then used to uh, feed the fire for the next batch. Mm. So very That's sustainable. Cool. So the plant product that we mm -hmm. extract the winter green essential oil from, they, they take that and stoke the fire for the next batch of essential oil distillation. And I think too, we need to mention that um, the people that harvest the actual wild grown wintergreen plant, they are walking some of them three hours or more one way to turn in their wintergreen harvest. I mean, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. It is. And they're also, uh, they undergo training. It is incredible. They undergo training to make sure that they are not taking too much from the plant, um, that they're cutting it in the correct way, that they're identifying, like, is this plant ready to be harvested? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Again, the shared value. Mm -hmm. If they are caring for the land that is producing the winter green, they're going to have more work, you know, in the future waiting for them. It's not about just yeah. going and, like raping and pillaging the land of all the winter green. Like we're making sure that it's sustainable in the future with regrowth. So. Exactly. That was beautiful. Thanks, girls. Um, so then we get into a, a bus. Oh, let's Jesus. Just, let's just... I'm, Betsy's shaking her head. Um, Y'all pray for Betsy. <laughs> let's talk about the bus, and then we'll talk about the village. Let's talk about that bus, because actually, like, the highlight of my trip was the bus ride. It was? Yeah. Yes, it was. And she's not, she's not exaggerating. I like, the fact it. that we were all together in the same place. <laughs> That makes spring like ta ta ta. Like she just wants us to all be together at the same time, experiencing, experiencing danger. Yes, yes, so sick. So paint the picture, spring. Okay, so let me just say before we went on this trip, I did a little research about the roads in Nepal, y'all, and um, I knew that they were sketchy. Is kind of like a soft term for what they are. Um, way too soft. Way too soft. I mean. They were very scary. And every turn is a blind turn. Every turn is a blind turn. And the roads in Nepal, so the actual road system has only been around since like the 1950s. And there's actually only three major 
highways in the entire country. So all the roads that jut off of those three major, like what we consider like a highway or a big road are, um, in the States, we would not travel these roads. Mm-mm. Like they no. we would consider them. They're farm roads. They, yeah. Four wheelers, four wheelers, not even passable. And, um, what they have done is they've turned these single lane roads that literally follow the edge of the mountain. Like they're not cut into the center of the mountains. They're not, um, they haven't blown a pass through the mountains. They're on the exterior outside like of on the a mountain. terrace. Yes. I would kind of like call it like, that's right. Like the crust of the mountain, if you will. It's like, I think they measured the bus that we were on. It probably measured it like 11 feet wide. And they were like, let's make the road like 10 and three quarters. Yes, absolutely. And they, these roads, even though they're, they look like a single lane road, like a one way, they are a two lane road and you have blind curves every couple hundred feet. When we say blind curves, like we mean you cannot, it looks like the road goes off the edge of the mountain and the bus drivers actually give, they have a whole language with horn honks where yes. it's like a little toot toot or a burnt burnt or like a <laughs> rah, rah. Um, <laughs> And That's they accurate. give toots around the corners so that people that are coming who really are not listening, let's just say that, like the people that are driving the opposite way, they don't care about the, no the, way. the horn toots. And on one side, depending on which direction you're going of the road, the mountain literally goes thousands of feet straight up with like sheer rock. And the other side is thousands of feet straight down with no guardrail. No guardrail. No guardrail. No way. People are passing each other around blind curves with motorcycles squeezing between and holds mm. the size of the bus in the road with cliffs on either side. It is. And <laughs> they take these curves. They take these curves so wide. They yes. do. They they so wide. wide. There yes. were several times where there was like a pothole on the inside, like closer to the, the safety of the mountain. But my driver would swing it wide as to like dodge the pothole. And I was just like, really? Like, is that your discrimination right now that you're going to like <laughs> swing me out over the edge of this cliff to dodge a pothole on the inside? Like the rage bottled in my chest when I got off that bus was so acute because I knew that I would have to get back on it and do it going the other way. I mean, and we've been in several countries where it's considered like sketchy driving, like in Guatemala, he said in Guatemala, like we, they go really fast. There's a lot of traffic and they drive fast, fast in Nepal. There's a lot of traffic. It, who cares if they go fast or not? It's basically like a death wish. Like you're basically like taking your life in the hands of the driver and thank the Lord that we had like drivers that. I felt like we're good drivers considering the size of our vehicle, the amount of people, Betsy, not so much. Her driver hit a wall and hit a a tractor with people in it. (laughs) (laughs) Hit a tractor pulling a trailer and the trailer was full of people. And he gave it like a really like dramatic bump. And all the people turned around and looked at the bus driver and, and then they just drove off. So I would just call that an incident. Right. Totally. But it was, I like, I love experiences like that on roads in other countries. Cause I just feel like it gives us a good taste of what everyday people deal with. I mean, 
and nothing is close and you have no like hours of to drive anywhere hours hours and you have no emergency braking pull-offs for semi-tractor trailer no. going up the mountain you have no, no mcdonald's to pull into and like have a, a good bathroom break and a cup of coffee and a sweet tea like none of that like everything was like bare minimal and then at one point we pulled over for a pit stop where we found like lattes which were amazing they were which really was good. so random it was so, so random, random. The, it had we had to have a good latte because the bathroom situation i was gonna talk say that <laughs> For the disparity between the lattes and the squatty on that one stop, like, couldn't be more extreme. Oh. All right. So the bathroom situation, I mean, situation. really, this is how most, a, a lot situation. of people in the world use the restroom. Yes. It's like a, it's like a room. A porcelain hole in the ground. With a porcelain hole. And like, there's a hole and there's, you know, grid marks for your, for your feet. To get maybe little, your hands. Maybe your hands. We're not sure. <laughs> to like, get some grip. And then you squat and you can imagine the rest. And then there's like a, usually a bucket that you fill up with water to give it a little flush. And to splash yourself clean because they don't use toilet paper in these parts of the And world. you don't flush your toilet paper no, if you, you do have it. You do have You hang on to it in your purse until you find a place to dump it. It's so nice. That's right. Yeah, it was a situation for sure. And what was funny is that we're on this trip with all these Americans who have never used a situation like that. And so when you squat, it's like you, have to you like pull squat, your panties forward. You do. You pull your panties forward, try not to pee on your feet, but your body's like, okay, this position is going to make me poop and pee at the same time. But nobody <laughs> wanted to poop and pee at the same time. So it was like everything <laughs> fell out. And then you were like, how do I get, how do I clean myself? Oh, God. Because you oh, only had God. like a couple squares of toilet paper. Totally. It was such a situation. As I know we're talking about the bathroom a lot, but when we <laughs> arrived after we were in the village for many days <laughs> and then we had our 11 hour bus ride, 11 hours mm -hmm. and we made it to Pokhara. Um, is that how you say it? Pokhara? Pokhara. Pokhara, excuse me. We get to Pokhara and we get to our bathrooms. It was great to sit on the commode. Oh my God. I know. A toilet. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> so nice. <laughs> I'm so thankful for my, for my toilets. All right. So let's talk about, we, we visit the wintergreen um, distillation site and we uh, mosey on down the road more and we go up this mountain that no four wheeler, Jesus. except that, you know, a redneck my own would ever go up. We go Jesus up and up Jesus, take the wheel. We arrive. And the second bus, I have to say, when you all pulled up, it looked like a terrarium or like the scene from Titanic when they're, you know, in the carriage. <laughs> the windows were so foggy from everybody breathing so hard. So oh, I was definitely panting. That was 100% my condensation because I was like, Veronica, please let me get off the bus, please. I, at one point I said, I can walk. I can walk. <laughs> yeah, we were definitely like begging for our life. So. so so then we get off the bus and within minutes, minutes, there is <laughs> there is this beautiful crowd of men <laughs> moseying towards us. I was still so shook. I could not appreciate anything those villagers want to give to me or say to me. It was not the beautiful moment that I thought I was going to have because I just didn't want to get on that bus again. <laughs> oh, goodness. But it was quite the... Um... It was the welcome quite the crowd, quite the welcome. And it was all these like young men, middle-aged men and like grandfathers 
Um, they had like five different instruments, yes. making a good racket, dancing. They were singing, singing. like the same folk song. Yes. I think they were trying to teach it to us. Oh yeah, we we don't understand a word they're saying, so we were like, okay, we'll just dance. I got the hollering part real good. Yeah, yeah, and I heard a yeah. lot of honey bunny. Yep, <laughs> which is the word for I think it's honey punny. Oh, honey punny. See, That's I the call word it for honey water. Bunny. Honey punny. So we like, we basically dance our way to where the rest of the village is. And the reason we are at this village is because the municipality of Makawanpur, um, Choice Humanitarian, an organization that is in, um, Nepal. in Nepal doing incredible work. And then doTERRA's Healing Hands Foundations are partnering to finance putting in a water system for 500 families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a great way to say it. That's what it was. We were all partnering together. And, you know, I just want to be clear, like, this is no, like, white savior situation whatsoever. Not at all. Not at all. Um, we were basically there to celebrate the groundbreaking um, and also to meet the villagers and, like, to spend time with them, get to know their stories, um, and just really celebrate just life. You know, the Nepali people don't always have a lot of things to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And we just got to celebrate, you know, like water and chilling and meeting together. And so we walk up and there's, I mean, how many women? I would At say like 40. 40. Would you say that? 40 women were standing there and they had some assortment of fresh flowers. Rhododendron. Is that what they are? Rhododendrons? Rhododendron, the national flower of Nepal, comes in 29 colors. They had this deep red. Um, then there was like a magnolia, something from the magnolia family, mm-hmm. um, like an arborvitae or a cypress, um, different foliage. And they were presenting it to us. And each one of them, I know Spring and I were standing next to each other. And we got <laughs> a little emotional. Yeah. Because um, I felt like it was like they don't have a lot to give. Yes. Um, and so right. like the gift was the celebration for us being there. And we, our hands were full of these beautiful flowers. Yeah. And each, each woman like looked us right in the eyes and said, namaste and, and bowed and bowed. And it was just such a touchy moment. Cause I just thought, man, we are just, we're missing the mark in mm-hmm. the States. Like we don't do that for anybody. You no, know? we like, don't even do that at a wedding. We don't like, Oh, we're missing the mark. We totally are. I know they had such a high sense of honor and pride. It was like receiving a lay when you step off a plane in Hawaii, they would like put that over your neck and give you something beautiful in your hands. And yeah, it was so, so humbling. And they were so full of honor at the same time. And I thought it was great that we got prepped for that because we were told these people are going to want to celebrate and they're going to celebrate hard and it's going to last for three hours and they're going to sing and dance and they are going to give speeches and they just kept doing the same thing over and over. So yeah. And some of those people walked for hours to get to that one spot. It was kind of like a parade for them. Um, Like what we would do for like the 4th of July parade, you know, you like line the streets and you wait for it. We just didn't know that we were like the fire trucks that (laughs) come down the street, but that's what we were. Yes. Yes. We were. And so the speeches were very interesting, but remember Betsy, you were telling me about one of the leaders of the community and what someone said about him. Do you want to share that? Do you remember? Yeah. Yes. So we had a lady Karuna on our trip who could speak English and Nepali really well. And so I made her my friend because she could help me. And she told me one of the men who was given a speech, it was so rousing. You could tell he's saying something really good. Um, and she said he is a very wise man. And then she turned around and she said to me, he is um, simple living, high thinking. 
And wow. it seemed to be like a, a, a phrase that later on uh, another girl, Prasamsha, told me the same thing. And so it must be something that designates a certain type of person. But yeah, he he was a, a leader of a municipality and gave a long speech. Hmm. I'm like, oh. that's, that's life goals. Simple living, high thinking. Mm-hmm. I know, right? Sign me up. Me too. So then we are, we had this welcome ceremony. We've all danced our hearts out and it's getting cold. And let me like set the stage for this too. Like we, so we, I think that's something that none of us really realize is like the elevation of where we would be. Yeah. And the, and the amount of walking we would have to do in between changing those elevations. So like we would walk down, 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 down to a place and then we would turn around and we would walk up, 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 way up. And it was like, we were breathing through a straw. We're on the side of a mountain. We're on this the side is not of a mountain. Flat. So we've like celebrated all the way down to a flat spot where there's like literally hundreds of people. And we have celebrated our hearts out and our bodies are saying that it's like a completely Time different for zone. Yeah. We are exhausted because <laughs> we're still all kind of dealing with a little bit of jet lag. And then I'm kind of scanning the area to see where are we sleeping tonight? Cause we're staying in this village in Makwampur and I start looking and I ask, where are we staying? And they point to this place on the top of a mountain. They point up. Way up. And I was <laughs> like, like their fingers oh, are straight yes. up. You're like, oh. Yes. <laughs> Here we go. We're doing this. So, so then we, we had to, you know, walk down and then up and then we find the stairs. There's like a oh, hundred yes. stairs. Like 500 stairs. It was like the stairway to heaven. Like I yes. thought that God might be up there when we got Yes. There. And you remember all of the garlands, like they had garlands going into the dining hall. Beautiful. Beautiful. Handmade. Yes. handmade garlands going into the stairs that we walk up our mountain to the yes. community center. Yes. And literally mm-hmm. we were followed. By the entourage. By the band. Yes. Blowing horns. Yeah. All the way up the mountain. They like rolled out the red carpet for us. They for did. Sure. It was amazing. Yeah. It was. And so then we slept all, t- like there was two rooms for the women and then a separate area for the men. And At the I top mean, of the mountain. If we had 40 some people on the trip, there was probably only about 10 men. Would you say that's right? 12 yeah. Men? yeah. 12 men. I think it was 12 guys. And we slept at the, on the top of this mountain on a concrete floor on mats and it was a it was this this structure that had like a, a tin roof and when you lay there you could see this guy through the holes in the tin roof from the nail holes and I kept thinking if it rains we're gonna be in trouble. Well lucky for us it did rain. It did rain but we got wet more from the condensation from all of our deep breathing that we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was, ple- I mean, having slept on many uh, a forest floor, I was pleasantly surprised how comfortable I slept. Oh yeah. Those yes. foam pads that they gave us made all the difference. Yeah. So it was a concrete floor, but then they'd covered it with a tarp and then they'd covered that with a very thin piece of foam that did a really good job at um, dealing with any water. It was yes. really smart how they did that. And then we each had like a double stack of a, of a mat and a pillow that they provided with really precious little pillowcases. And for like a split second, I'm not going to lie, 
I thought how great it would be to put that pillowcase in my backpack and bring it back to America. <laughs> then I thought my soul would be black if I stole from Nepal. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, so totally, girl. And the windows had like the windows had no screens, so right. there was like bars on the windows and then like a a wooden shutter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that separated us from being outside, and it was like a cement building. Mm-hmm. I remember Let's talk first- about. Uh, oh, go ahead. I, I, I just remember the first night that I had to pee because you know our bodies are so off. Oh, of gosh. course, we have to go to the bathroom, and I wake up wide awake at three a.m. and I have to go outside on this mountain in Nepal, and I'm like, please let there not be a mountain lion that's like <laughs> waiting to kill me. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's what I was going to say. Let's talk about our adventures at night. It was like, that's when you're supposed to sleep, but that's when everything kind of came awake in Nepal. It was at nighttime. Yes. The drama. Yes. All right. So I, I'm going to go ahead and um, let's talk about that that fateful night with the rain. Oh, God. I'm going to go it. ahead and play the sound of that rain. Oh, yes. So that rain, that came after the 2 a.m. vomiting wake-up call. That's um, right. And Okay, so just to paint the picture, we're all sleeping in sleeping bags. And I am not a sleeping bag sleeper. Like when we camp, we have a motorhome. <laughs> it has an organic, delicious mattress with like the most plush, delicious bedding, like high quality, like <laughs> sheets and all the good things. That's how I camp. So sleeping so in brings a, sleeping a, brings a glamper. I am a glamper and sleeping in a sleeping bag. I was like, I felt like a sausage link. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so we go to bed with like socks on, sweatshirts on, all the things to keep us warm because it's cold in Nepal at night. Like it was yes. very cold and I'm in my sleeping bag and I hear this vomiting mm-hmm. and you're like, I go into like nurse mom mode and, but I could not get out of this sleeping bag. And <laughs> so Betsy, I'm right like, beside I'm, beh- I'm beside spring and I'm and on the other side. Yeah. This is Leah spring, Betsy. And when I hear the like, Ooh, I was just like, that's in my dream. That's in my dream. That's not real. Oh my gosh. And then, and it, cause it's, we're all so close, close quarters. I feel like it was going to splash right on me. Yes. And I, everybody's little like headlamp kind of comes on. And I realized that this lady is definitely vomiting. She was so sick. And her heart. she was so sick. God love her. And I look over at spring, but I'm too lazy and tired to do anything about it. I'm just kind of like, this is all a muscle but not spring. She starts like trying to unzip out of her sleeping bag, but she's gotten disoriented and she can't find a zipper and she starts rocking back and forth. And I'm I would thinking, throw like, my feet in the air. Yeah. I'm like, what is she going to do anyway? Like, what's she going to do with this lady? And I didn't know, but she had lots of plans for what she wanted to so, do. Let's talk about spring's bag that she packed. It's, <laughs> all the things just kept coming out. Like she brought Cadbury eggs. <laughs> She had like every like, oil, every oil. She brought every oil, um, in a, in like sample size. She brought, um, wipes <laughs> for the whole village pretty much <laughs> like a battery powered diffuser that pumped right beside our head, which was yes. awesome. I mean, I brought all the things cause I know like we've done so many of these trips where there's always somebody who needs something and you even had K tape. Yeah. yeah K tape, like all the things, right. but it was like. In that moment, when somebody was like getting sick, it was like, 
Like, she was what? like it's the yes. war. Yeah, I was like, yes, I get to use all my things. No. <laughs> she no. was over there holding that puke bag and putting oils on her faster than I could even get my headlamp on. It was awesome. <laughs> well, we got her situated and that was a situation because that's the worst to be sick mm-hmm. in another country, especially when you don't have running water and a toilet and oh. a hot bath. Mm-hmm. Like Oh my gosh. Like I just felt so bad for her, but we got her situated and no sooner did we get her situated than the rain started. And that was, Oh my God. It was such an experience. Like I have never, and my mom is one who like used to like make us like go lay out flat on the porch and listen to rainstorms as they would come in. This was something I have never, like I had never experienced rain like that. It was, it was more than torrential. It felt it like was it violent. was coming right on top of us. Yes. It was so intense and it lasted forever. Mm-hmm. And then once it, and it was so funny because so many of us like started recording it because we were like, we cannot forget this moment of like the, I know. like hellacious, violent rain. And then it stopped and then more people started coughing and it sounded like they were going to throw up. And I was like, I know. I we're all, we're falling settled. apart. The wheels were falling off that night. We were, we were falling apart that night. <laughs> And that was the the night after the day that we had all come together and done all this hard labor and the digging for this well. And I could just only think like, did this just wash away all of our hard work? Yeah. Yeah. So let's explain what we did that day. So right. We kind of got ahead of ourselves right after the welcome ceremony. The next day we traveled up the next mountain where the holding (laughs) tank was going to be. And we were basically moving four huge piles of slate rocks. Mm-hmm. We were like a human conveyor belt, for, you know, all morning and into like a late lunch, mm-hmm. moving these slate rocks for this foundation of the tank. And then another crew was building or was digging what was going to be a 3000 meter trench. Hand digging. Hand digging um, down the mountain. So Betsy was worried like, oh my gosh, this trench, we, I guess they did about 600 meters that day. Yes. Is it going to go away? Now, I want to, I want to note, did you all remember that um, when we were going up the mountain to start the work, we all were carrying a shovel or a pick and that the men of the area mm-hmm. came and carved out handles for mm-hmm. the pick? Mm-hmm. Yes. Did you see that? Yes. I did. Major it was scale. incredible. I know I couldn't wait to get home and tell Dustin all of these details because he is so good at working with his hands. And he has such an appreciation for tools. And just by osmosis, I feel like I've learned a lot about how the proper tool can make or break a job, whether you're Mm. working on a car or you're building a cabinet door and their tools are so rudimentary, but they got the job done so quickly because, you know, you get good at working it with what you have. Um, So they made it work with those crazy, I think that tool, the one in particular was like a cross between a hoe and a shovel mm-hmm. and a pick like mm-hmm. they would use it for three different reasons so and I, that was pretty crazy so that whole day i was kind of out of commission because i had a little issue and i was <laughs> she like, had days for girls she yes, had girls for days. i did we gotta talk about days for girls too we i had a little issue so my day that day was just not completely unexpected not what i had planned at all so i kind of was sitting on the side of the mountain just observing the activities that were going on. And it was so incredible to me to see throughout the day, the people that were arriving by foot with their children 
to come and help in some way. They join right in with our team, passing rocks or digging the trench by hand, or even just sitting and communicating and trying to get to know the people of our group. And I thought, man, like what a great experience because we were there to serve them um, in this way and to help them get their well started, but they were also there doing just as much work as we were. And it was not something that we were doing that we were giving to them and they had no, they had no horse in this race, you know, like they were very much a part of this experience. And that was awesome because so many times we think that to, to help people, we have to give them something. Mm -mm. Um, and it's not about giving them something. It's about empowering them to do something. Like I was talking to Veronica who was leading our trip and she's with choice humanitarian. And I said, the thing that I'm impressed with is that this project is not just us doing it for them. It's them helping us do this. And she said, we are so passionate about that concept of having people participate alongside with projects and so, and doing something that they can actually take care of on their own, where it's not like an expensive thing that we as Americans go in and unload on a village full of people that have no idea how to take care of it. This is something that they very much understand the concept of of how it works and how to fix it, but they need just the manpower and maybe the funding from us. So that was really kind of cool to see that happening all day long, really. Well, Partik, Mm -hmm. our leader said that they will, um, the, the, uh, the people of Makawampur will continue to work on this until it is finished and they have a deadline of of December. Mm. So that, that was a big part of the selection process is, you know, they have to show that they are invested and they will complete the work and then the ongoing maintenance. And so I think like that is something I can get behind so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Just knowing that this is not going to be something that's abandoned. Like this is actually making a huge difference. Yes. People don't have to walk Mm -hmm. two hours one way to go get their water in the dry season. Oh my goodness. Yes. You know, and like just, I mean, I just think about how difficult my life would be without running water. Oh my gosh. You know, this is, uh, it was so fun to just be a part of a really a, a happy moment for the people going forward. Absolutely. And I really liked the the way that you said it, Leah, that we were basically there for the groundbreaking. It wasn't like this is our project. Mm-hmm. And I think Choice um, has gone to great lengths to ensure that at the start of any project, there's a vetting process of mm-hmm. like, are you going to put in resources? Are you going to put in sweat equity or both? And how much? And they're going to match that and like they'll move towards who is moving towards them, which I think is pretty much the only way you can truly help someone. And that was really cool because I even asked Pratik, the um, leader of own choice, Pratik and Veronica were our choice um, leaders. And I asked him, um, you know, how how long is this going to take? How long is this going to go on? And how often do you see groups like this? This is actually a very small part of what Choice does. Like what we did is that's not their bread and butter. They are always on the ground. Like that's what they do. They, they work in sustainability so that people don't abandon the project. So if it was just like our great idea to go over there and start something, but then there's no one there to maintain it. Um, I just thought that was great because mm-hmm. it's not just like a bunch of short-term visit visits from, you know, the Western side. So. I think this is a great little okay. like tangent, not to get on my soapbox, but there is a really eye-opening documentary 
that mm. came out about three or four years ago called Poverty Inc. Mm-hmm. It's probably mm. on like wherever you stream your movies, um, but I know you can rent it from iTunes. But I really it's recommend Netflix, people watching yeah. it, um, Poverty Inc. And it really opens up the idea of non-governmental organizations, NGOs. Um, in Nepal, there are 60,000 nonprofits. And I mean, I was shocked when mm-hmm. I learned that because mm-hmm. the level of poverty and the level of difficulty that I, f- I would imagine that a lot of people have in daily life if they are not in a like a upstanding career in Nepal is, Mm. is pretty significant. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about, you know, just how many people in Kathmandu? 30 million. Yeah. Well, he said there was like 330 million in the entire country. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, to to think that there are 60,000 nonprofits, NGOs that are in this country, but it's like, what have they actually done? Mm-hmm. I really felt really grateful on how this project um, came about. So, yes. Yeah. All right. So, let's talk about Days for Girls. Let's talk about Days for Girls. Okay. So, this is my second Days for Girls that I have been a part of. I was a part of one in uh, Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the mission really quick. So, Days for Girls is basically um, their goal is to be able to educate young women and really women of any age mm-hmm. about their cycles, about basic hygiene, about um, um, how, how pregnancy happens, at, about the, the way their cycle works throughout the month, and even things like consent. We can talk about that more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the talk, they show them uh, how they can have washable hygiene packs of panties and pads that they can like use instead of just using their saris or sitting on a stool for five days or in the backyard. Um, Because in in most developing countries, um, a woman's monthly cycle is looked at as a bad thing. And time of being impure, dirty. And they actually, there's a lot of places where they actually send the, send the woman, the young girl outside of the home while she's having her monthly cycle. And it's like a, it's a time of like extreme vulnerability and, um, it makes women and, and girls feel shunned, and there's a lot of um, abuse that happens when these girls are outside of the home um, monthly for their for their cycle. So totally, and that's like the worst end of it, and like probably the lighter problem, but still a problem, is that they are out of school. Totally, totally. totally. So, so they're missing a, a week out of every month of school. Mm-hmm. Even I was talking to um, I was talking to Karuda, and she was saying that you know her husband you know, did not give her a hard time, but even the people in her community right now, she's educated, highly, you know, she's a upstanding, she's a leader in her community. And yet the, even the women in her community, because she doesn't basically sit in a room by herself for her whole period, she still cooks, she still cleans like that. They give her a lot of, of, of grief about that. Can you believe that? Wow. No. So anyway, so here we are sitting in this. I'm going to start telling Keith that I need a break a week a month and I'm not going to cook or clean because I'm on my period. Oh my gosh. It's my moon time. I'm not going to be able to pick him up from school today. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Totally. I love that we just turned that into a joke. (laughs) So let's talk about this. You guys, you have to laugh to keep from crying. And that was the moral of the story for us in Nepal. It was a blast because humanity was hitting us so hard on every side. Yes. Yes. God bless. Right. You have to like 
Yes. It was, it was heavy. It was so heavy. Mm-hmm. It really was. But the days for girls thing, I think from a nurse perspective, seeing this broad range, like age group wise from like young girls who honestly, I was shocked to see the age of some of these girls who are married and have children like I know young, you guys like so young. So they're obviously sex sexually active. Like they have their monthly period and they are clueless about how to take care of themselves. And they have babies, which to me is like shocking. It's shocking because we think about that in, in the States, like in the U S to think of an 11 or 12 year old girl having not just a baby, but a sex life and not knowing anything about her period and how to take care of herself. It's, it's, it's shocking. They were teaching the girls how to wipe. Yes. These girls did not know that you should wipe front to back. Yeah. They had no idea. And when they, when they were saying, okay, like (laughs) we're going to laugh, we're going to have to laugh to like, and just get this out because (laughs) through translation. (laughs) So it was being like, so they were speaking it for the Nepali women. And then presumption was giving the translation, but we could understand one word that was being said in, (laughs) they would say, Honey bunny, honey bunny, honey, honey bunny, honey bunny, honey bunny, cancer. And we all knew the word cancer, what meant cancer. And so through translation, it would come out as cancer. So they were teaching these girls about hygiene and teaching them like you need to keep yourself clean. But in <laughs> what they were saying was like, if you don't wipe from front to back, if you wipe back to front, you can get very sick and you can get cancer. <laughs> and... All Meanwhile, of us all of the, like American people were like blinking really hard, like and swallowing hard. And, like, like, I'm like, have I gotten this wrong my whole life? <laughs> like, did I come all the way to Nepal to figure out why so many people get cancer? Are they all wiping the, wrong, wiping way? the wrong way? And, oh then, and then they're like, be sure to go and tell your husbands and the your husbands brothers and your brothers. Yes, because if they do not keep their reproductive systems clean, if they wipe from back to front, they will get cancer. And and if their reproductive system is not clean, they can give you cancer. And we were like, what? what? All we're these trouble. years were in big trouble. Yes. I was thinking like, you know, a urinary tract infection. Yes. A yeast infection. Yes. Yeast infection, yes. For sure. Yeah. STD, even that. Like we Absolutely. can get grim. We can take it there. But like, totally. wow. Cancer. They just, you know, they're like, just forget all those other things. You're going to get cancer. Totally. But I was like, yo, listen, you go use that squatty potty one time and you probably will get cancer. I'm just saying. We turned everything into such a joke with that. But like the seriousness of it was like, like female hygiene, male hygiene is something that Days for Girls is teaching. Um, And I thought it was so great. Like, because honestly, I think that we need to teach Days for Girls in the States. I You know, like, obviously, Mm -hmm. we don't need it on that level. But to be more open about monthly cycles and how to be empowered in that and not to feel shame and not to feel dirty and not to make it feel like a big secret. Like, we have a problem where we feel like having your period is a bad thing, even in the States. You know, yes, there's body shame. And they're absolutely the, the like the content of this class. Like it was pretty bothersome when I walked away from it, just looking at the whole 
package of going from talking about reproductive, how how your period works, how your body is designed to work. And then, I mean, we had to end by covering how to spot a predator and how to yes. protect yourself. And, yes. um, you know, self, very simple, like self-defense. No yes. means no. Yes. Yeah. No means no. And these things. And I just, I feel like, um, one of the things I really appreciated was a doTERRA employee who was from Nepal said, I want all the guys to be in a class like this because this is not just a women's issue. And I think that was, that's exactly true because the people who really need to know this information and be allies more than ever are the men um, that we are talking about at the end of this um, days for girls class. So yeah, it was a lot. Gosh, it was heavy every way around. Like, yes, it was, it was heavy on every level, but I felt like, cause we had a good chat. We had a good chat with Karuna, um, after the whole days for girls thing where we got to ask her questions like, Hey, Karuna in that room, we saw like grandmother aged women. We saw middle-aged women and we saw young girls, very young girls. Like how old are they? Do they have to consent to get married? Is arranged marriage a thing here? Like, how do you look at that? And like, what's the, like, do these girls, like what happens if they were to get raped? Because I think the, the ending of the days for girls training, there was such an emphasis on self-protection mm -hmm. and no means no and saying no. And so we got a chance to ask Karuna, like, what, like, what is the, what's the case here? And it was so eye opening to think that there are places in the world where women are not protected still. Um, I mean, even in the U S like there's cases of that, but it was so eye opening just to kind of look at that and say, we have got to educate more. We have to be a voice for people that don't have a voice. Like we need to, um, we just need to, we need to be there and support each other and educate people more. And I think that, you know, my impression after talking with um, some of the folks there, especially Karuna and more and others, is that there are people that are forward thinking, but we're mm -hmm. talking about a whole cultural change. Generations. Generations. Yes. I know. So the, the tide is turning. It is. But just like in America, you know, we have cultural issues behind a lot of things and it just takes time and it takes those brave people. And I know like, I don't know if I'll, I might cut this, but I'm pretty sure that if a girl is raped, that she has to then marry the person. Yes. And if the person's mother does not accept the girl, she literally has nowhere to go and usually commit suicide. Yes. Mm -hmm. The rate of suicide is, is high amongst girls who mm -hmm. are raped, who mm -hmm. is not, when the girl is not accepted by the father of her baby, the father's mother, of the her father's baby. mother. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's heavy. It's heavy stuff, but I think it's really important that we raise awareness for organizations like Days for Girls and let people know that you can have an impact. Um, get involved, you know, like get outside of your four walls, get outside of your zip code. And you don't have to be the one necessarily that goes to Nepal. You don't have to be the one that goes to um, Haiti or Guatemala or Mexico or wherever it is that Days for Girls is, are they're doing their education, but you can partner with organizations like this and your dollars can go towards being the ripple, being the change that, that changes generations for the future. 
Also, yes. another way to get involved with Days for Girls is you can host a sewing party. Mm. And they have all the information on their website, um, but you can actually host a time where you get your community together and you sit down and you sew these kits. I but love that. I love that too. I do too. Um, and, and you know, one thing uh, I just, one thing that I really took away is I feel like that idea of shared value for me is so strong because yes, I'm, I'm so passionate about the oils. I'm so passionate about their uses and the, you know, basically miracles I have experienced with the oils and the people that I know. But when you think about shared value, being a part of the doTERRA family, you know, on the ground in Nepal, we are initiating co-impact sourcing, mm -hmm. which is jobs. Mm -hmm. We are supporting strongly choice humanitarian, mm -hmm. which is changing communities and then we are also corporate sponsors of Days for Girls, which mm -hmm. is literally changing oh, generations. Mm -hmm. So I came away with a really strong sense, a compass. I really I felt like my North Star was reset. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yes, this mm -hmm. is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel very proud and yeah. very honored. Yeah. I felt like being with the people of that community, mm. I call it like a holy humbling, you know? Yeah. I felt yeah. really humbled. Spring's giving me a hard time. No, I'm saying yeah because that was um Presumpta. Presumpta. she would always say yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree 100% with you, Leah. Y'all want to talk about the food? Let's talk about food. Let's talk about doll, y'all. All right, Betsy, what was the best bite you had in Nepal? And this is where we part for the day. Be sure to check out tomorrow's episode, part two, finishing up the conversation with Spring and Betsy. It is super fun. A lot more laughs. You'll hear about our favorite bites, our takeaways, and you're going to hear more uh, sights and sounds that I recorded on the trip. If you are intrigued and love the, uh, the story behind our essential oils and want to have your own essential oils, be sure that you contact your friendly doTERRA wellness advocate that you love and that you know, um, and they will be sure to help you out. If you do not have a wellness advocate and you are a regular listener on the Small Queen of Podcast, I would be delighted to help you just check out the show notes for all those details. All right, my friends, stay strong, be kind. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>